Hello, and welcome to Dialogues in Dermatology. I'm Dr. Todd Schlesinger, your Editor-in-Chief. We have another exciting podcast for you today. We hope that you enjoy. Welcome to Dialogues in Dermatology. My name is Abel Torres. I'm the Professor and Chair of Dermatology at the University of Florida, Gainesville. And today we're going to be talking about our practice management series, specifically financial management for the dermatologist. Our guest today is Dr. David Goldberg, who is a clinical professor of dermatology at the Icon School of Medicine. And Dr. Goldberg is also in private practice, and I'll let him give you his title there. Welcome, David. Thanks so much, Abel. As we look at uh, our practices and how they've evolved, you and I, of course, known each other for 35 years, and things have changed a lot since we were dermatology residents uh, at NYU. And both went off to law school and, and then went on for there. So at the present time, I serve uh, with an academic title, Icon School of Medicine on Sinai in New York. But I also, two and a half years ago, went from a large private practice setting uh, known as Skin Laser and Surgery Specialist and merged with a private equity group uh, called the Schweiger Dermatology Group, which is now the largest dermatology group in the Northeast. And of course, we're going to focus on economic models, and every one of those systems is somewhat different, yet they have some things in common. Excellent. And I think that's so true for our audience to understand. You know, it used to be very simple, private practice and then academic practice. Now we're talking about academics, private practice, private equity models, et cetera. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and start talking. And why don't you give us some idea of in terms of where you see in terms of the costs and issues as it relates to academic versus private versus private equity models? So in my early years, I had an academic setting where I was really in-house at Sinai. And in some ways, the academic setting creates a financial blanket for people who go that route. You generally get paid some sort of base salary. I get some sort of commission. But you don't have to think about all of the other issues we currently have to think about. Everything from paying staff to marketing to dealing with compliance issues to dealing with regulatory issues and website and everything else that goes with it. So the academic setting in some ways is economically the safest model for those who choose that route. All right, so let's let's go back to the private practice. So the private practice setting, there really are two models in the private practice setting. One model is where a physician works in a private practice. And the other model is a private practice where a physician actually runs and owns the private practice. In the private practice model where the physician works in that private practice, in a lot of ways, it's not a lot different than the academic setting. There generally is a base salary, there's a commission base, but there aren't a lot of other costs associated with that particular practice. If you go into your own private practice and you're running it, then you get the pride and joy of having your own practice, it's yours, you make all decisions, but with it comes all the economic issues. Those economic issues include everything from having providers, and those providers could be physicians, they could be mid-levels or physician extenders. Their pay scale is always going to be different. In the private practice setting that one runs themselves, there will be all kinds of costs. Obviously, you've got providers, you have ancillary staff. That could be nurses, that could be medical assistants, that's front desk staff, they all have different salaries. Most of those people are going to be paid as employees, so they're W-2 employees. Uh, You might have some independent contractors, which are 1099 employees. 
So all those are economic realities. Plus, plus you have to pay for a, a whole variety of things. Obviously, there's malpractice insurance. There's health insurance. There's potentially disability insurance. There is life insurance. There are regulatory issues. There are compliance issues. There are HR issues. You need to run a website. You may want to run marketing through social media. So you can see how all of these costs add up. And it's gotten to the point now where some 20% of dermatology practices, for those reasons, have joined the private equity model, where that financial liability now is placed in the hands of a corporation. Obviously, in that setting, you don't have to deal with any of those issues I just mentioned. You are now back to being paid as a commissioned employee, you as the physician, but you're always dealing with the whims of private equity. Remember, that's a profit model, which all practices are, so is an academic setting. But it's a profit model that often is based on people who don't really understand dermatology, unless there are board members in that private equity group that are also dermatologists, which is the case that I'm in right now. Excellent. So in terms of when you're looking at this, because I think for some of the young physicians going out into practice, one of the questions that they often have is, especially at the private equity model, what will happen? In other words, will they be able to have their salary stay the same? Can it change after they're hired? Can they be fired at a moment's notice? What do you see as the pros and cons there? Yeah, well, one of the pros is, I think, in contrast to our generation of dermatologists, the current generation of dermatologists maybe has a better sense of a life-work balance. You and I are used to working 12, 14-hour days, uh, right or wrong. This current generation does not want to do that. And the private equity model really takes the financial burden off of them. And they can often arrange their hours. They can work three 12-hour days if they want. They can work four eight-hour days if they want. And so in that sense, that really is much better. The flip side, as you alluded to, is they're truly an employee. And the terms of the contract are going to dictate how quickly they can be hired, fired, uh, on a whim. And you know, I think the pandemic showed that private equity-based firms, uh, frankly, did terminate a bunch of employees, including providers. So recognize that that reality exists. However, if you were in a private practice setting and you hit another pandemic, you might also end up not working just by virtue of the fact that you, know, you can't afford to. So there are going to be pros and cons. All right. In terms of what kind of things, you gave an overview of the different costs and things, but what do you think are the main things that most young faculty going out into practice don't really understand or think about some of their costs that they get surprised by? Well, I think there are two issues. One is people don't really think about the cost of running a business. The cost of running a dermatology practice, if you're lean, is probably 40%. The cost of running a dermatology practice, if you have a lot of cosmetic lasers, can be 60 70%. So that means you know 60 to 70 cents of every dollar you make, you're now putting out there and, and paying somebody else. That's number one. Number two, I think derm residents, and I see it with our derm residents and our fellows for that matter, they have this sense that using all of the different EMRs we use these days, and there are a couple of conferences in dermatology, there are fees created by that EMR that would suggest that an office visit gets X number of dollars. They think that's what managed care pays. That is not what they pay. They often pay anywhere from a third to half of what the actual charge is. 
And so they have to think about the real dollars coming in as compared to the cost of running a practice. In terms of if you're going to give advice to someone going and contemplating their models and looking at it, what kind of a little checklist would you give them in terms of the things that you say, here's what you should be looking at as you're doing this? And I know you've alluded to that somewhat by the discussion, but in terms of a little bit more specific. Yeah. So how much independence do you want? If you want to be independent, you can't really be an employee of somebody else. Uh, You're going to have to do it on your own. And recognizing that we are trained as dermatologists. We're among the best of the best. And all of us are going to make it eventually, one way or the other. It's a matter of how long. So if you really want your independence, just take the lumps and bumps and go with it and you'll do fine. If you are willing to give up some independence and you want a better lifestyle, then think about the other models, whether private practice, working for somebody, or private equity model. And that's how I look at it. That's at the top of the list. After that, then the next thing to look at for the younger ones coming out of the training is what is the base salary and what is the commission salary? Generally, a base salary in a private equity group is going to be no question higher than it is joining a private practice group and generally higher than even a university setting. But there's an salary, and that is that the private equity group is going to get that back in a certain period of time. It's not free dollars. And if you don't produce enough to get that back, then you may be terminated. So you have to think about the positives of getting all the money up front, because in the end, nothing is for free. I agree. Yeah, I think that's an important factor because, for example, in the academics, the base salaries will usually be lower. But sometimes, depending on the compensation plan and the incentives, the total compensation may not be that bad. And not to mention some of the benefits that can be there as well and the ability to work with residents and other things as well or to pursue your academic pursuits. I want to add one more point to the academic settings. And that is, by and large, academic settings actually get more per CPT code than private practice settings. And so in that model you just described, it's also conceivable that a young physician would be paid more because the academic setting can negotiate better with managed care. Agree. And, th- and that's where I was alluding to in terms of the total comp. And sometimes, although their base salary may be lower, by the end of the, the day, in terms of the total comp, it could be a reasonable compensation. What I was going to say is, you know, you've, you've had a unique career in terms of, you know, you're being involved in academics and private practice, now in private equity. In terms of that, what have you seen as the highlights and the low parts of, of your experience? Ah, and there are plenty, right? So the private practice setting, I mean, the, the highlight of that is I get to make every decision I want. I can sit there at the end of the day and say, I made the decision. I can also sit there at the end of the day and say, what a dumb decision I made. In the private equity setting, I have a relative degree of an autonomy, but not 100%. And so you do lose some control. And so to me, the negative private equity is I'm not free to make every decision I want. There's somebody always looking over my shoulder. Flip side is, uh, you know, I don't have to deal with the employee issues I used to have to deal with. And we all have it. It's, it's hard to get good employees. It's hard to keep them. Sometimes there's infighting among them in this private equity model. And I would argue in the academic setting, too. You don't have to deal with a lot of that. Very good. Well, listen, thank you for a very enlightening talk. And is there any last comment you'd like to make? I think in the end, there is no perfect model. And they're all good models. And you have to sort of sort through what is best for you and recognize, and and I think I can go by myself as an example, that over the course of a 35-year career, 
you may change that model. And that's okay too. Very good. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Goldberg. It's been a pleasure talking to you. And we look forward to hearing more from you in the future. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, Dr. Torres. We hope you have enjoyed this edition of Dialogues in Dermatology. This is Todd Schlesinger, your Editor-in-Chief. For more podcasts, including bonus issues, check us out online at the website of the American Academy of Dermatology or through the Dialogues in Dermatology app. You can now also sync your subscription to your favorite podcast app. New podcasts are released each week in addition to our monthly JAD podcasts. We hope you enjoy these new options for listening to Dialogues and the increasing content for your listening pleasure. Thank you.